Planning Los Angeles is a collection of more than 40 essays that together dispel many of the urban planning myths that have perpetuated the metropolis. Edited by David C. Sloan, Planning Los Angeles will challenge readers to rethink and reconsider what they know about L.A. I'm Timothy Minnell, editor of the American Planning Association's Planners Press. Joining me today in a discussion about urban planning myths that engulf L.A. are contributors to the book. David C. Sloan is the editor of Planning Los Angeles and a professor of urban planning, development, and history at the University of Southern California. Todd Gish is a fifth-generation Angelino, a licensed architect, and a practicing urban designer. Andrew Whittemore is an assistant professor of city and regional planning at the University of Texas, Arlington. David, Todd, and Andrew, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. David, Planning Los Angeles features essays uh, from 38 contributors. How did you decide what to include and not include in a book about planning in Los Angeles? I mean, this could have been a several-volume series. Uh, how, did, how did you go about uh, shaping the book? The decision was to make it a, a layered effort. So the first decision was to make it an edited book and have multiple voices, because I think any city benefits from being described from multiple perspectives. The second decision was then, how do you get all those multiple voices and not get, actually, multiple volumes? And so we made a decision that we would have uh, lengthy overview essays uh, 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 that would be augmented by shorter, um, focused essays that allowed the reader to get both a sense of the generalized topics around uh, the Los Angeles area and then some very specific types of uh, projects and issues that Los Angeles, uh, that reflect the, the complexities of Los Angeles. And then we uh, put in a third layer of uh, one-page essays about emerging themes or interesting sort of events around the, the, the area. Choosing the topics at the overview level was relatively straightforward. Um, we went with classic sort of planning topics, uh, urban design and parks, um, transportation and mobility, uh, hit planning history. The tricky one for me <clears throat> certainly was the middle one, and that was to try and find a uh, set of essays that would reflect the amazing things and the challenges and the amazing challenges that, uh, that are Los Angeles. And uh, so we went to a variety of different authors from the profession and from the universities, and, uh, and we, I think we did a pretty good job of getting a, a good set of perspectives on this, the city and the region. One of the, uh, one of the things that is distinctive about this book, beyond the, the many layered uh, kinds of essays, is the attention to uh, photography and art-related issues. Um, I wonder if you can say a little bit about why that's a particular interest of yours or why you think that that, is, that was such an important piece of explaining uh, planning in Los Angeles uh, to people who may not be so familiar with the area. One of the purposes of the book from the beginning and as it went along, it actually grew for me, was to introduce uh, Los Angeles to a variety of people who have only a stereotypic view of it. And so they've seen the iconic photograph of the Hollywood sign, and they've seen the iconic uh, photograph of Venice Beach, 
and they actually think that is Los Angeles. In reality, Los Angeles, like any great metropolis, is a remarkably diverse, complex, challenging, amazing, depressing kind of place. <laughs> and to try and get that, evoke that, we tried to develop a number of essays that would get at that the Staples Center, the the kinds of issues, projects, Glendale, the, the whole gamut of things that we, we cover. But to really get at it, I wanted to move away from those iconic photographs to try and get at a set of historical and contemporary photographs that allowed us to get into the, under the skin of Los Angeles. And to do that, I thought uh, one of the best ways was to get a, a few um, art photographers, in this case, Doug McCullough and David Yamamoto were the classic ones, and then Aaron Paley is an additional um, who's both lives in sort of a planning world and a photography world, um, and then others as we went through uh, that we that uh, authors identified to try and give people that sense of difference and complexity. And I think it worked really well. Actually, I'm very happy with it. It, it definitely makes the book stand out on the planning bookshelf. Um, now, Todd, uh, David mentioned the, uh, the some of the stereotypes that that exist about Los Angeles and. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people are under the impression that Los Angeles is essentially not planned. Um, and your essay uh, takes on this, this stereotype. Uh, can you talk about that a little and maybe why that misperception continues to exist? Sure. Um, first, I want to read a quote that, I, that is a favorite of mine that kind of tells a, 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 puts this in a nutshell, and it's from Stefan Thernstrom, who's a, a well-known urban historian. He says, Los Angeles is at once the most widely written about and least understood city in the U.S., uh, and a major obstacle to understanding this fascinating community lies in a body of widely held popular stereotypes about it. So there's, there's, uh, there's trying to discover, you know, the truth about something and the reality, and then there's, uh, and then there's the extra challenge of, of a whole slew of stereotypes and what we think we know. So that's that's kind of where I was uh, coming from uh, with the chapter. Um, now, people have heard about some people have heard about Village Green. They've heard about uh, you know this or that. Uh, maybe you know the, the freeway system. Uh, other sort of well-known uh, singular. Uh, Things about Los Angeles and you know, relative to planning and development. Uh, so um, it's not necessarily that you know there's a, a widely held belief that there's never been any planning to Los Angeles, although some people think that. But the, the despite knowing that there are freeways or that there's a sort of a, a, a major street system, et cetera, and, and maybe early zoning people have heard of, there's still this widely held general vague feeling that yeah, there was there was. There was this and there was that, but there was really no sort of ethos of planning and that there was no uh, overall, um, that, that, that LA, basically I'm arguing in the chapter that uh, the sort of larger view of Los Angeles as this sort of freak uh, in, the urban, uh, in the urban world, that it's, uh, it's exceptional. It's sort of an exceptionalist place relative to cities like Boston and New York and Chicago and so forth. Uh, we think about in, that in terms of climate and about in terms of, of industry and Hollywood and so forth, and that, that planning 
or the you know, the the notion of a lack of planning is just one more of these of the ways in which L.A. is exceptional and this kind of oddball mm. uh, compared to other other uh, American cities. Uh, so that's that's the way I was uh, approaching it. The sort of widely widely held booster mythology about you know the sunshine uh, and the uh, beautiful environment and the movie stars and the uh, the uh, uh, lack of uh, uh, apparently east coast urban attributes is is there a is there a place if if uh, someone's coming into to LA from out of town is there a place that you would take them and actually all of you uh, feel free to chime in on this is there a place where you would take them and to say, "See, here's this. Here's some order to the city, or here is an angle that shows the relationship between planning and the city in a way that you might not expect." I mean, is there is there a location that you could point to? Sure, uh, downtown Hollywood, uh, the Mid Wilshire District, uh, down at the harbor, way down in San Pedro. Um, you could go out to Santa Monica. You could go up to uh, you know if we're going to when we call when we say Los Angeles we if we're talking about Los Angeles County uh, you know many cities uh, you know well-known cities Pasadena has a uh, uh, a, a really well implemented city beautiful plan um, laid out back in the early 1920s by uh, Edward Bennett you know co-author of uh, the plan of Chicago uh, just that, won a APA award that's right the, the, yes the, the sort of uh, uh, big uh, APA historical award uh, for that plan that's that's uh, implemented and has been implemented over time. You know, to the credit of Pasadena, as a really stunning example of of uh, of city beautiful that uh, that guides development in in you know over a couple of square miles of Pasadena. So that's that would be a you know great kind of classic example. But you could you know you could look at the street grid of 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 downtown, you could you could look at where the the orientation of the streets and blocks of downtown, and the original pueblo that was oriented, you know, thanks to the laws of the Indies, uh, uh, and the original founding back in the 1700s, meets the the uh, you know American grid of the 1800s, uh, which is you know how the rest of the city is is laid out, and just that that line along Hoover Boulevard. Running north and south, where the, the the one angle meets the other, it's very dramatic. You can't miss it, and it's you know that line is the is the line between uh, two major uh, uh, planning uh, paradigms. So mm-hmm. that that you know, that's where that's I would good. take someone. Yeah, like yeah. Now, and, Andrew, yeah. your uh, your essay, a hundred years of land use regulation, uh, chimes with Todd's um, in that it lays out indeed what has been done over a century to try to regulate uh, growth and, and shape it in different ways. Um, is there anything you want to add to Todd's thoughts on uh, this sort of misperception about L.A.? Yes, sure. And I'd, I'd also like to answer your previous question, if I may, about where I'd take someone in Los Angeles. Oh, please, please. Um, I, I, would, I would take them about 10 miles up into the upper atmosphere because... <laughs> you can see Los Angeles' zoning map from space. Mm. Um, and, or just Google Maps works, too. Um, but it's pretty <laughs> it's specific <laughs> uh, and, and a lot cheaper. Or, as you said, across some of these 
borders, for example, Sunset Boulevard between West Hollywood and Beverly Hills. And you can see the higher density apartment districts. You can see the commercial districts, which are given away by the, uh, the very high amount of parking uh, along the strips. You can, you can see all these different, you can see the single family districts. You can see all of them. And, and they're, they're all pretty much built out at this point um, in at least uh, certainly in the, in the west side and, and the valley portions of the city. Um, so you can see the zoning map. Uh, and it doesn't really look logical, but it certainly looks intentional. So <laughs> I would say, see, it's planned. It's not necessarily planned well, but it is planned. Um, and I think that looking back over 100 years of history, certainly it is planned in the sense that many government agencies, not just City Hall, but the state, the federal government, have had enormous say in what Los Angeles was going to look like. Were they ever necessarily working together? Not not very often. Uh, was it the coordinated um, effort that incorporated a lot of diverse environmental, social, economic interests, the, the way the APA, the way that we would like to prefer to think of planning? Uh, I not not very often, um, but it has certainly been the product of um, intervention. Um, I, I can say that uh, definitely, always. Uh, D- David, do you want to chime in on this distinction between uh, rational and intentional? <laughs> uh, first, let me give you my example. Okay. And it's one, I think, that uh, it is, is uh, I, one of the iconic moments in Los Angeles that people uh, often disparage, but is uh, just a classic example of American planning, and that is, I would take them to the LA River, uh, which is, uh, uh, is is perhaps as planned as one can possibly get <laughs> in America. Um, and and the reason that it looks like it is is because of planners and engineers. And so I think it's a misunderstanding. The, the bigger question that I think is raised by the book and in general by Los Angeles isn't, is Los Angeles planned? It's, is Los Angeles well planned? Mm-hmm. And I think right. that's, a, that's a much deeper conversation and a much more interesting one. Uh, and I think that's exactly what the book tries to get at, is to move us beyond the sort of uh, disparaging uh, dichotomy between New York and LA and getting us at what does it mean to be a well-planned city and what does it mean to be a well-planned city in the 21st century or in the 20th century versus one in the 16th century or the 18th century. And I think if, if one looks at that, Los Angeles has both many positive, well-planned uh, pieces, aspects, and some places and some ways and aspects that don't work out, haven't worked out and are not working out. And um, trying to identify those, trying to figure out how you give get regional solutions to those, how you get local solutions and neighborhood solutions, I think is the big challenge for Los Angeles. And it does come down to, can you get the political will? Can you get, it's, are we gonna be intentional, if you will? Um, in looking at what, what kind of place we want to create and how we nudge the, the city forward to get there. Andrew, I know you've been doing some other writing recently on the kinds of uh, passion that, the passions that uh, planning issues evoke um, across the political spectrum. And I wonder if you mm-hmm. see in the Los Angeles region the kind of uh, 
political will and engagement and uh, you know ability uh, to to make, take the kind of intentional steps that that David's describing. I think, and also when I was uh, when I was at City Hall for a period and really following Los Angeles politics when I was still there, I saw the the landscape of of participation um, changing and becoming uh, broader, uh, especially when I was writing my uh, about the history of Los Angeles. It seemed for most of the latter half of the 20th century, the people who were participating most were Valley and Westside homeowners and neighborhood associations. They are still participating, but now I think you're also seeing a lot more people beginning to understand uh, the consequences of that regime is, is kind of what I called it in, in what I wrote, uh, especially in, in decreasing um, housing production and uh, affordability. And so now you have uh, people in city council, uh, such as uh, Ed Reyes comes to mind always, who are, who are advocating for, um, really advocating for minority interests uh, in planning, whereas the big figures in, in city council who were talking a lot about planning 20 years ago, um, were representing those more, what we, what I now think of as more traditional, um, you know, upper middle class, upper middle class homeowners, uh, and neighborhood associations of the Valley and West side. Um, and so now I, I think there is some more, some wider interest because I think more people understand the consequences. And, um, I, I think there have been some, there have been some policy outcomes as well. I think the book gives you two really good examples of that. And the first is Gilda Haas's um, wonderful essay on the community benefits agreement around Stable Center. And the second is Lark Galloway Gilliam's essay about the efforts to try and uh, put a moratorium on fast food, standalone fast food restaurants in South LA for two years to try and uh, create a planning environment. And I think both of those are representative of new voices trying to find ways and understand the systems better so that they can find their voice within the system. Um, I have worked with the second group, the group that's trying to work around fast food. And when we started talking about the moratorium, or the, actually even before we started talking about the moratorium, one of the things that had to happen was that that South Los Angeles group, which was focused on health, had to actually learn about planning. And I think we, we often have this conception that people know about planning. And I think that the vast majority of residents have a very rudimentary idea of how the planning process works. And especially redevelopment uh, in, in the various ways that development occurs. And one of the striking things is as they learned about it, their voices became much more steady, much more confident, much more present in the conversations. And as they move forward, now there's actually a conversation about trying to add a health element to the city of Los Angeles general plan. And so I think we will see a continuation of that. I think the planners, though, do have a responsibility to try and figure out how you get that knowledge that education about the planning process and the development and redevelopment processes, particularly in our current state, um, to 
uh, populations that are not as easily or uh, uh, educated or not as educated as those on the, as that Andrew's already talking about. Todd, as a practitioner, how do you how do you see this issue? Well, the the little uh, municipality that I uh, uh, consult for, I've been part of a lot of uh, public hearings on uh, new projects, and I think that the demographic of, of those uh, uh, folks coming to meetings is is. Somewhere between the two, I think it's uh, some high-end uh, um, property-owning neighbors and so forth, but also a lot of a lot of folks in older apartment buildings that uh, in, in a, in a uh, part of the county that's getting redeveloped, um, even in this down economy, uh, with some big projects uh, kind of coming rapid fire. So you have two-story apartment buildings that are rent controlled and with people that have been living in them for years or decades um, uh, getting getting you know bulldozed and replaced by four-story or apartment buildings or condos you get heavy participation at these meetings and there is a range of experience uh, uh, that you see a range of sort of citizen expertise uh, from little or just you know uh, people uh, coming up to the podium and and uh, railing either loudly or politely uh, to the planning commission or to the city council uh, that this is their home uh, that they're that they're uh, possibly losing or they're a next door neighbor and and worried about the noise and the the sort of uh, you know, environmental impacts of a of a building that's three times the size uh, moving in next door all the way up to uh, clearly sophisticated, educated people that, that may know something about planning or they, they know enough about planning and, and uh, local politics to, uh, you know, in their two or three minutes at the podium, uh, sort of craft an argument, a political argument uh, about, about the next election, uh, if it's to the city council, or, or uh, even kind of a legalistic or, or sort of trying to dive into a piece of the code uh, that they may know, know something about or have heard something about and try to use that as, a, as, a, uh, as leverage uh, in their argument, uh, usually against, uh, against the project. So um, I do see a wide range of, of, uh, of expertise and knowledge in that setting. David, I'm going to leave the last, uh, the last word to you. Uh, on the question of why people outside of Los Angeles might want to look at this book. What, what is emblematic about what's emerging in Los Angeles that other communities should pay attention to? Los Angeles has always been portrayed as the exception, that it's not New York, it's not Indianapolis, it's not Dallas, it's not. And I think that this book reminds us uh, very forcefully that it is not New York, it is not Indianapolis, it is not. And at the same time, it is those places. It gives you both a sense of the remarkable activities that are happening in Los Angeles that are innovative and inventive, and it reminds you of the daily routine mundane things that are happening here as well as around the country 
and it reminds you of the incredible challenges of any great metropolis in the United States or in the world. And what we tried to do, the authors and I, is to provide people with a a little guide to um, that place and to introduce it to them in a way that would give them a different kind of perspective, um, not only about planning, but about the city itself, and to give them a sense, uh, a little window into it that they can both dip into as they're here or on their way, or that uh, after they're after they've come here and they're trying to figure out what they saw. Wow, that's a, that sounds just about perfect. <laughs> that's a excellent summary. Thank you. And I, to, to be honest, Tim, I'd like to. There's another point that I like. Uh, a quick point that I'd like to make that David touched on that I think is worth uh, including or possibly including. Okay. Which one of you wants to start? Go ahead, Andrew. Okay. Okay, sure. I was going to say, I think I've been struck, especially since leaving Los Angeles, that this kind of, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a modernist faith in, in provision of really grand scale infrastructure, big freeways, paved rivers, uh, whatever else, uh, is going to deliver a good city and you'll never have to see the consequences, I think that's still prevalent in a lot of the United States, uh, especially here in Texas. And um, I think that's a really good reason why people should pay attention to Los Angeles. Mm. Hmm. Uh, That's that's an excellent point. Okay, Todd? Uh, David touched on this point, but I I think it's worth uh, uh, underscoring that... uh, uh, Maybe the biggest myth about LA isn't is that it's unplanned; is that it's badly planned. And uh, I would the point that I want to make is badly, badly for whom and when. Um, I, I sort of lay out in my chapter that you know um, uh, low density, segregated land uses, planning for the automobile, um, you know, modern high rise uh, downtown districts that have come to, to be seen as the bane of planners or at least uh, um, big challenges and problems now were very much best practices, you know, 50, 80 uh, years ago. And if we were sitting here having this phone call 80 years ago, uh, we would be talking about how great automotive planning uh, was and how wide the street should be. and. Uh, how the housing should be over here, but the, the uh, business and the commerce should be over there. Uh, these planners were doing their jobs according to best planning practices. And, you know, we've come to see over time, obviously, and a, and a lot of uh, uh, over this massive scale, but no one really probably could have foreseen, you know, the many, many not, unintended consequences. Uh, so, to, so to blame uh, past planners for, for not being able to anticipate all of this, uh, some of it's legitimate uh and some of it probably isn't and and i would i would turn that mm, query kind of around to current planners and to charge them or charge us charge the profession with um you know what are the you know we think now we've solved all the problems finally with smart growth and transit-oriented development and density and uh, uh you know uh, transit uh, choices and so forth and and those are all good and important things we need to pursue be pursuing in planning but you know 80 years ago 
planners that thought they'd solved all the problems too. And so we need to be asking about smart growth, about about transit-oriented development, and about the the latest best practices uh, today. Uh, think creatively about what what might be the unforeseen uh, negative consequences. Um, you know, 50 years out, and 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 be thinking about those and how we might uh, correct correct for something like that. Yeah, planner, planners do have an unusual canvas to work on in that, that their successes and their failures are visible to everybody for decades to come. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, David, Todd, and Andrew, thank you all uh, for your time. Uh, thank you. Planning Los Angeles can be pre-ordered now through apaplanningbooks.com for $34.95 or $24.95 for members of the American Planning Association. Thanks.